listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. Second Timothy chapter 2, uh, in verse 14, I'm going to ask you to stand again as we read uh, God's Word together. And I want to read all the way down to verse 26, because I just want you to really get the flow of what uh, Timothy is hearing from Paul. And if you're new with us, we like to stand as we read portions of Scripture together to honor the reading of God's Word. Paul writes to Timothy, picking up in chapter 2 and verse 14, remind them of these things, charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But notice verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Verse 20 says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Verse 22 says, Flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, so that you know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must be not quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, so God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Verse 26, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And you may be seated. We believe as we stand that that is God's word uh, in which we read this morning. Let me ask you this. Who was your favorite teacher? You know, maybe a Sunday school teacher, a, a school teacher. Who is your, your favorite teacher and why were they your favorite teacher? Um, as you're thinking of those answers, uh, Miss Walker uh, was my AP European history teacher. Um, she was my favorite teacher because she was really the first teacher who ever said I was smart. And so <laughs> it took till 12th grade, but I finally had someone say I was smart. But she had an impact uh, in my life. Who was that teacher that had an impact? Uh, maybe it was somebody, a, a teacher that cared for you, uh, encouraged you, you know, taught you, showed you uh, something maybe you didn't understand, didn't know, but I, I would say this, out of all of the favorite teachers that you may have identified or thought of, I think there's one quality of every one of them, and it would be this, it'd be faithfulness. See, a, a good teacher is really a faithful teacher. And what Paul's saying here as he's continuing this letter to Timothy is he's given us new images of what faithfulness looks like. See, last week we said to endure. That in the Christian life, when the going gets tough, the Christian just keeps going. And he gave you three images last week of how to endure. He said endure uh, like a soldier seeking to please the officer who has enlisted him. 
endure, you know, like a farmer where you are continuing to sow spiritually so you may reap and endure like an athlete competing, you know, again with the rules, not against the rules, not breaking the rules, but seek to live a godly life. Now he's saying endure in faithfulness, teach faithfully. And so if you think about teachers and you've kind of thought, all right, I like this person or this person had an impact, I want you to think about you being a teacher today. And you might say, well, yeah, that's what I do as a profession. Or you might think, well, I teach a life group or a discipleship class. But I would argue we're all teachers. We all teach something every day to somebody about something we do. For instance, you post something on Facebook. You're teaching someone by your post about whatever you posted about. If someone's driving in your car with you, Based on the way you are observing the speed limit, you're teaching the passenger what you think about that 45-mile-per-hour zone, right? You're teaching people around you this morning, or you taught people around you when we sang how you participated in corporate worship today. You know, you, you taught people that were sitting near you. Here's, here's what I think of the importance of corporate worship. You know, as a parent, a grandparent, you're teaching your children or your grandchildren about God when you bring them to church. See, we're all teachers. We teach people constantly in our lives at some level, whether you teach a group or you teach an individual. And so if you think about being a teacher, think about it this way. Every one of you teaches somebody something about God. Every one of us teaches somebody something about God. No matter if you teach it to a lot of people or one person at every level, all of us are teachers. So then we ought to want to be faithful teachers. And so Paul's going to give us three images on being a faithful teacher. The first image, this, is an unashamed workman. Notice in verse 14, he says, remind them of these things. We want to be an unashamed workman. He says, charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. He says in verse 14, remind them of these things. What's been happening in the letter so far is Paul's been writing to Timothy. Timothy, I want you to know this. I want you to know this. Chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Timothy, pass on now what you know. Because again, we're all teachers. We all teach people at some level what we believe about God. You pass on what you know. And so here in verse 14, he's saying again, Timothy, teach, remind them about these things. Now, what is the these things in verse 14? It would be the gospel. Uh, It would be the good news of Jesus Christ. Remind them about that, but also remind them of everything I've said up to this point as well. And then he gives us the image of an unashamed workman. What does a good workman look like? What does a faithful workman look like? Well, notice verse 14, a faithful workman doesn't get caught up in quarreling about words. He says, don't get caught up quarreling about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearer. That means a faithful teacher isn't going to be marked by always being argumentative with people. Now, are there times that we stand up for the gospel? Are there times we give an argument for the gospel? Are there times we defend the gospel? Yes. But your life as a faithful teacher of God's word, as we all are at some level, is not to be marked by being a quarreling person. But notice also 
that this faithful teacher and this unashamed person, uh, we want to do our best to present ourselves approved to God. Look in verse 15. He says, do your best to present yourself approved to God as a worker who has no need to be ashamed. That, that word approved and do your best, it means to be zealous. We want to be zealous as faithful followers of Jesus to do what's right. We want to be zealous to please God. So we live a life uh, to be zealous, to do what God's word calls us to do. So he gets back to that athlete kind of illustration where he says we want to live not to break the rules, but do what God calls us to do. Now, are we doing that to earn something from God? No. Are we doing that to get love from God? No. Are are we trying to be zealous and and be good people that observe God's word uh, to get more mercy from God or forgiveness? No. That's all found in Jesus. When you place your faith in Christ, God sees you as righteous. God loves you as one of his kids. God shows you his mercy. But we live out of all that. We don't do that to get. We do that because we have it. And we want to honor God because of the what he's given us. So a, a faithful teacher uh, is not a quarreling person. They do themselves best to present themselves approved. But notice also verse 15, a, a faithful teacher, an unashamed workman, rightly handles the word of God. At the end of verse 15, he says that we rightly handle the word of truth. That, that word rightly handled, uh, I love the way it works. It, it means to cut it straight. It means to cut a path. And when you think about that, that's what Jesus has done for us. He's cut a path. He's made a way for us to be able to get to God. If you think of all other man-made religions out there, all other man-made religions will say, cut your own path. Go your own way. Hey, there's a lot of ways to get to God. Just just choose one. Or maybe you want to cut a path that has several ways. The, The problem with that is this. How do you ever know if you're on the right path? How do you ever know? If there's so many paths to get to God, how do you know you're on the right one? I mean, what if that guy's taking that path and this person's taking this path? Who's right? And so Paul says this, rightly handle the word of God. Jesus has clearly said, in order for man to get to God in a relationship, it's through me. I cut the path. So you, as a teacher who teach people about God at some level, I like to think of it this way. We're always keeping our finger on the text. We're always keeping our finger on this. So this means this. If you're a life group teacher, guess who the hero of every lesson you teach is? It's Jesus. Guess who the hero of every sermon I ought to preach is? It's Jesus. Guess who the hero of your life is? Should have guessed it by now, right? It's Jesus. Why? Because we're on the path he's cut to get to God. So that's a faithful worker, but what does an unfaithful worker look like? What does a a bad workman look like? Because Paul gives us that image as well. Notice verse 16, they spend their time quarreling. He says, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. The characteristic of that type of person is not building people up, but it's actually tearing people down. Because they're always within a controversy. They're always argumentative. They're always seeking to prove the other guy wrong. And they're tearing people down instead of building people up, verse 16 says. But notice how their talk will spread. It says, verse 17, their talk's going to spread like gangrene. 
And among them are Hyminus and Philitus. Now, I think about that often. Sometimes there's Paul that will name people like that in the Bible. And man, 2,000 years later, that's what they're still known for. Like, man, that kind of stinks, right? I mean, would, would you like to be the, the grandkid of Hyminus? Hey, is that your granddad Paul wrote about? Yeah, that's him. What's, what's his deal? I don't know. He's always just mad about something and mad about somebody. Right? But notice also the unfaithful worker is they swerve people from the truth. They don't teach the word of God. Look at this, and this is important. He says they've swerved them from the truth, saying the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. An unfaithful teacher has removed their finger from the text. They have, they've stopped preaching Jesus as the hero. They've stopped pointing people to Christ. And in this day and time, they're, they're, the, the popular understanding from the Gnostics, kind of the false teacher, it is still around today, is essentially that there's not a physical resurrection. That you have a spiritual resurrection, but your spirit is good and your body's bad. And so a good spirit wouldn't want to always live in a bad body. So the false teachers that Paul's talking about here would say this, that Jesus didn't have a physical resurrection. He may have had a spiritual one, but, but not a physical one. And we would point, we would put our hands up and we would say, you've got to stop right there because that's against what Scripture tells us. And, and the reason being is because the resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Christ, is the cornerstone of our faith. Without, without the bodily resurrection, there's no good. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, you're still dead in your sins. There's no hope for you now. There's no hope for you ever if Jesus didn't walk out of the tomb physically three days later. And, and I, when you stop and think about the resurrection, I, I love this hymn. I don't, I don't know if a lot of you love hymns out there, but I, I grew up on hymns. I love hymns. We, we have a gospel hymn sing night tonight at 630, so I invite you back for that. And uh, this hymn right here, because Sandra and I were talking the other day about our favorite holidays. So, what's your, you know, what's your favorite holiday? And so, I like Christmas. I was like, yeah, I like Christmas because of the presents. Just, okay. All right. Just make sure you're paying attention, right? I mean, Jesus, yeah, he's got a, you know, presents. Are cool. I said, but Easter's my hands-down favorite holiday. You know why Easter's our holiday and my favorite holiday? Easter's the Christian Super Bowl, Right? Like, like Easter's the, the holiday for me. Why? Because it's the resurrection. And, and there's a, a song I love to sing every Easter. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior. Waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. That's good news, isn't it? So Paul says, we want to be faithful to that message. And even in a world of false teachers, even in a world where it's hard, where it looks dark, where, like we said earlier, we don't know how God's making a way. Look at verse 19. He says, but God's firm foundation stands. I'll let that hang for a minute. God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So as a teacher that you are, because all of us teach somebody something about God at some level, seek to be 
an unashamed worker. But secondly, seek to be a clean vessel. That's the second image he gives us. We want to be a clean vessel for the Lord. He gives us an illustration in verses 20 through 21 that I'm going to read and explain very quickly. It's not very hard to understand, I don't think. But he says in verse 20, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver. The great house is going to be the church. He says there's vessels of gold and silver, also wood and clay, some for honorable use. Now, the gold and silver is going to be honorable use. There's some for dishonorable use. That's going to be wood and clay. Now, notice verse 21. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for what's honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And so what Paul's saying there is this, that you and I, as teachers of God's word, because we all teach somebody something about God at some level, we ought to seek to be clean vessels, clean utensils, clean instruments, that we ought to seek to be clean so God uses us in that way. Now, in the Bible, are there times where God uses unclean people? Are, are there times in the Bible that that God uses people that even oppose him? Well, yes, there are. Uh, you can maybe think of Nebuchadnezzar and, and Daniel. He used Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus and Ezra. But understand, that's the exception. That's not what we ought to aim for. What we ought to aim for as followers of Jesus is to be clean vessels. And so how do we seek to be clean vessels? How do we get ready to be used for every good work, verse 21 says? Notice verse 22. Here's what he says. He says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Notice he says, flee youthful passions. That, that word flee uh, in the Greek, it's a, it's a real fun word. It means fugitive, right? And so we want to flee like a fugitive, right? So if you think about fleeing from sin, think in your mind, I want to flee like a fugitive running from the law who's chasing me. Right? I want to get out of there and get out of there fast. But notice he says we're to run away from something, youthful passions, but we're to run to something, so we're fleeing youthful passions. We're running to righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But what does he mean by youthful passions? I mean, what is he saying we're to flee from? Now, in the New Testament, often when Paul says flee from youthful passions, other parts he'll say this in the context of sexual temptation or sexual sins. And yes, it would be within this context as well, but there's also something else Paul centering us in on as teachers. Because remember, we're all teachers. We all teach somebody something about God at some level. What does he mean by us as teachers when it comes to youthful passions we're to be like a fugitive and run away from? Well, notice again the context immediately that he's setting. Verse 23, he says, have nothing to do with foolish ignorant controversies that you know that breed quarrels. Uh, this is really twice within just these few verses that he's told us to do that. Verse 16, avoid irreverent babble. Uh, verse 14, don't be a person who quarrels. Uh, verse 23, avoid foolish, ignorant controversies. What's he getting at? I think what he's getting at in youthful passions is this. Stop being a hothead. Stop being immature about everything. 
Stop feeling like you've got to give everybody else a piece of your mind. Stop feeling like you've got to give it to the other side every time. But isn't that the temptation we are all up against right now? Isn't that the temptation we all have? But really, when you stop and think about what's happening in our world, how do we want to be marked? What do we want to be known by? What do we want to be known for? Because if you look out in our world right now, I believe what a divided America needs is a united church. What a divided America needs is men and women of faith to say this. There is a man by the name of Jesus who doesn't care the color of your skin, who doesn't care your economic background, who doesn't care the language you speak, who doesn't care who you voted for, what you do for a living, language you're at, wherever you're from. This man by the name of Jesus, whoever comes to him, you can find faith in him. You find forgiveness in him. You find life in him. You find purpose in him. And whoever that person is, whenever they come to Jesus, they find God. And then they're put in a family. And that family of God's family, it's a diverse family. It's made up of all kinds of people from all kinds of places who have all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of ideologies, speak all kinds of languages and all kinds of races. And you know what's beautiful? is when God's people says Jesus matters and the gospel matters above all. And this Jesus, he brings everybody into his family that call on his name by faith. That's what a divided America needs. It needs the church to be the church. It needs us to call people to Christ and to say when you come to Christ, you're in this family God's family. Flee from youthful passions. Pursue faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We see the image of a clean servant, an image of an un, uh, unashamed workman, but notice also the final image is also the Lord's servant. He gives us the image of a Lord's servant. In verse 24, he tells us, here's how we're to be teachers again, because we all teach somebody on some level about God. Verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, so that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Understand the way sin works. Sin gets in our hearts, sin gets in our minds, and it confuses us. Sin mixes everything up in our lives. So now when sin gets in our hearts and our minds, we don't see Christ clearly anymore. We don't understand clearly what Christ is after. And so the Bible says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, that God has, or Satan has put a veil over people's eyes, that they don't see clearly. What happens, though, is when we share the gospel, the gospel gets into their lives, that veil lifts. Now they see clearly who God is, who they are, and their need for Christ. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying there are people that have been trapped by Satan. There have been people that have been duped by Satan. There have been people who are now captured by Satan. So then when you and I, as the Lord's servant, we focus on teaching, 
enduring evil, correcting with gentleness, then God will lead them into repentance and knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of Satan. That's the good news of the way Jesus works. That's the power of the gospel. That's what we put our our hope in and our faith in, that Christ changes lives. Now, when we come to the end of that, and we stop and think about teaching, we stop and think about, well, I'm a teacher at some level. You teach someone about God. I think as we move through that, if you're honest with yourself, as I'm going to be honest with you, we can all look at that and say, who's sufficient for this? Who can perfectly be an unashamed workman? Who can perfectly be a clean vessel? Who can perfectly be the Lord's servant? I'll, I'll be the first one to say it out loud. It's not me. I can't perfectly do everything we just went over. If you're honest with yourself, you can't perfectly do everything we just went over. I mean, I, I was talking to somebody at the end of first service, and they were like, man, you, you really stepped on my toes on some of those points. And I said, look, i got to prepare this all week. Like, I come up, and up here limping sometimes, right? And there's times I'm thinking, God, I don't want to preach this. I'm struggling with the same thing. And you, you only get it for 30 minutes. i got to deal with it all week long, right? But let's just be honest. There's times we are quarrelsome. There, there are times we want to give it to the other guy. There are times we don't want to focus on pursuing love and peace with all people. So, so then who is sufficient? Who really can do this? The good news of the Bible is there's one who keeps it all perfectly, and his name's Jesus. See, Jesus was the ultimate unashamed workman. He perfectly taught the word of God, perfectly cutting a path to us for us that leads to the Father. It is Jesus who is the ultimate, perfect, honorable vessel. It is Christ who perfectly kept the law. It is Christ who never, ever sinned. So then when he died on the cross for us, he was a perfect, sinless substitute for you and I, taking on our sin and God's wrath on our behalf. It was Jesus who is the ultimate, perfect Lord servant. It's this Christ that we can find ultimate rest and hope in for all things. He is the one who gives us the power to accomplish what God has called us to do. So when you think about your faith in Christ as a teacher, because we all teach someone something about God at some level, when you fail like I fail, we come back to Christ Say, Jesus, you're the ultimate one. Jesus, forgive me in this. Jesus, let me find my identity, my rest, my hope in you and you alone. And so this morning, I'm going to invite you in a moment to pray. And I'm going to invite you to be real honest with God today. And to say, God, here's where I'm struggling. Lord, here's where I know I need to change. And I'm inviting you to take my life and to let it be consecrated Lord for thee. I'm inviting you, God, to change what I look at. I'm inviting you, God, to change the way I think. God, I'm inviting you to change the way I speak. Lord, I'm inviting you to change the way I treat another person that I might not agree with on everything. And as you're praying about that, let me just say this to those of you that have yet to come to know Christ as their Savior. What's stopping you? What's preventing you today 
from coming to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. And I, I'm going to call you today to come to know Jesus. I'm going to come to you to say, listen, we are, we are imperfect people who have found a perfect Savior by the name of Jesus. And when you invite Christ into your life and you say, Jesus, take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee. What you find in Jesus is forgiveness. You find a relationship with God that you have now that's never to be broken. And it exists all throughout eternity. And so as others are going to be praying about things on their heart, I'm going to encourage you, whether you're watching at home this morning, you're listening later on the week, or you're sitting right here, to come to know Christ as your Savior. Let's pray together.